like even when we call people um like research subjects what the fuck is a subject like it's so dehumanizing <laughs> yeah, we also do that in film like we're like oh this subject i'm like stop stop these are people that we're dealing with like take them as their whole individual complex selves hosh bosh with anita and sara this podcast is powered by foundry a hybrid progressive art space located in downtown Dubai's Boulevard. It includes exhibition spaces, co-working environment, a creative library, podcast room, and a cafe. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I've been very privileged to know Lubna since freshman year at NYU Abu Dhabi. Um, she's one of my closest friends. I'm constantly inspired by her. So I knew that we had to have her in here because she is such an ideas person. She's she's also a work person. She's also an art person. But when it comes to ideas, she can just talk forever and I could listen to her forever. I don't know if you felt the same. No, I absolutely did. And I just have to say her voice is the most calming, soothing thing I've ever heard. Like, I want rock to sl- be rocked to sleep to the sound <laughs> of her voice. Um, no, but apart from that, I think the conversation was really special as well just to be able to hear her talk about herself and her journey and how she's growing and what she's evolving into and how her work is kind of you know going along that journey too mm-hmm. keep listening to hear how Lubna Ansari carves out a space for herself in the UAE Hi, Lumna. It's so nice of you to join us today. We're so excited to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's get started. What are we waiting for? Okay, so we have this question. You can answer it however you like. Um, How did you get here? Oof, that's a loaded question. I got here to the foundry by a taxi. Mm -hmm. Um, I got into this world through my mama's DJ. (laughs) I, I entered, well... Are you asking where am I from? Up to you. Oh, okay, I'll have to say that. Um, but I'm from India. Well, my parents are from India. Mm. Um, I was born in Japan, raised there for a bit, moved to Hong Kong, and I came here to pursue my education and start a life for myself. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's what brings you here physically, apart from that. Mentally, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think, you know, when I was living in Hong Kong, um, a lot of my friends, when they wanted to choose a life for themselves, they wouldn't imagine going to the UAE. Um, a lot of them would go to the UK or the US or these very like Eurocentric spaces. Um, I was really curious about. So I went to sorry I went to NYU Abu Dhabi, and I was really curious about the UAE, particularly because I visited this place like eight years ago, and for the first time in my life, I felt like there were people around me who looked like me, um, who like wow. just understood me, um, understood my accent, the way I spoke. When I said my name was Lubna, they didn't fumble twice. So it was just so nice to feel like shit. There's a place like. 
<laughs> and I could be here. And a lot of the places that I lived in, a lot of the places that I consider home, even India, are deeply Islamophobic places. So mm-hmm. I came here to just feel more, I guess, to find myself in a place where I feel like I could belong, where I could carve mm-hmm. a space for myself out here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously been difficult. It's never easy, and life mm-hmm. is so messy and complicated. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what got me here mentally. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, like, how, how is it going? You know, how is that carving going for you? Mm. Mixed feelings. Um, I do think being here for five years now, like, I've I found my community. I found my people, for sure, and I'm so grateful for them. Um, but it has been difficult. I mean... It's also difficult being, like, a brown woman in this space. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, there could be a whole other podcast session dedicated to that. But I'm still trying to figure out how to navigate that. I don't have mm-hmm. any answers yet. Um, but I think art making and writing mm-hmm. really help. Like, they introduce me to people to have conversations with. Um, it just kind of gets things going it helps me unpack so many of these questions I have about where I am how to navigate all of that all of the big questions but yeah you have one artwork where it's like the background's the sky and then there's half your face and it's like cream or milk or something being poured into your brain (laughs) yes can you explain that a bit yeah um so that's actually part of a like a three-part series and the series is called Laban, which is the root of my name, Lubna. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had a really difficult time with my name. I think, you know, um, at first I went to, in Japan, I went to this, like, Catholic Spanish school. Um, really, yeah, really random. <laughs> but it was, like, the only international, quote-unquote international, I mean, mm-hmm. um, school in Tokyo um, that was close to my home. So over there a lot of a lot of teachers a lot of nuns didn't know how to pronounce my name Lubna so they'd call me Luna which I liked a lot mm-hmm. um but I also used it as a way because I found myself using that name because I also started associating a lot of shame with my name Lubna um and I found that even when I moved to Hong Kong um it was just a hard name for people to pronounce it was attached largely with you know, my Muslim identity, my Muslim heritage, which I was also unsure about, um, mm-hmm. given what I was seeing in the media and how I had internalized Islamophobia. And so I did my best to really walk away from that name. Mm-hmm. And that series explores that over three years and how my relationship with my name changed. So that mm-hmm. artwork that you're describing is the last artwork of that series. Um, mm-hmm. And it kind of shows that was also when I was transitioning so I was moving mm-hmm. from Hong Kong to the UAE mm-hmm. and I was creating that then and how I slowly began to accept the root of my name and the mm-hmm. meaning of my name because I feel like I started to find a community mm-hmm. where I could yeah. you know say it without any shame and mm-hmm. just embrace it without any shame so yeah that's beautiful thank you um so I think there's something I'm just gonna jump in because it's kind of stuck on my mind the whole I already asked a little bit about what you what your 
experience with carving a space for yourself has been like but I think even just that use of that word carving which might have been unintentional for you is so interesting because I think when you carve you at the same time kind of create a waste product or um, you remove something to create space for something else Um, and I wonder if in your experience of carving you've felt that something has changed in shape I love that question and I never I don't know why I didn't think about carving that way but um, I'm sure you know every time one pursues some sort of change or transformation in their life there are things one leaves behind and let's go of um, I think for me that's mostly been people um, and that's hard it's hard to leave people but it's, it has been a lot about drawing my boundaries um, with people who are like not supporting me in this transformation and this change of who I'm becoming and who I envision myself becoming down the road um, and keeping the others in who I really feel like are supporting me in my growth um, not even because I'm not always growing but just accepting me for who I am where I am right Mm -hmm. now so a lot of that carving has to do with human relationships also so tough because I feel like I'm objectifying my human relationships yeah, no, which I'm yeah. not um, but I guess it's that's just part of life right mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. absolutely it's very interesting um, so you've told us a bit about this one series of, of projects um, and I guess it's always it's always difficult and you know I, I know a little bit about you and I know that relatively you're probably at the beginning of of you know, this whole creative process and journey that you're embarking on. Um, but I'm always interested in, in how people define themselves or how they, I don't want to say categorize or label, but like if I, if I was to ask you, you know, I was on a date with you and I was like, Hey, what do you do? Um, I'm interested. What would you, what would your answer be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That question. This gives me like an existential crisis. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I like, no, but you always have to write bios these days, whether yeah. it's on your like Instagram bio or Twitter bio, mm-hmm. whatever bio it may be. Um, and I'm having a hard time with that question, but I'll tell you why. Okay. If you just ask me, I'd say researcher and artist. Um, but that's also because just a month ago I was having um, lunch with my professor slash mentor and she used those words when describing me to her friend and I was like you consider me an artist <laughs> I was just like I just kind of stumbled but I was like okay if she can use it maybe I can like I can use it um but I've always had a difficult time with the word artist because I've always had a difficult time with the art world um and I use this example a lot where when I was really really young um I was going to this like fancy opera house um and it was like a field trip that our school had organized but I remember I was in awe like I was just like wow this is incredible but I was also so intimidated um you know there weren't a lot of people around me that looked like me I was also like six years old the rest were like 15 right but obviously like a specific skin color um and I and I found myself returning to these spaces again and again because I was just so in awe of the talent that I was seeing and how how human creativity is so capable of that but I found myself so disconnected with the people who were engaging with this kind of art. And um, so for the longest time, it was a very push-pull relationship with the art world. Um, but I decided to sort of pursue what I love, which is art making anyway. Mm-hmm. 
and it was only recently I started slowly kind of getting recognition for it um, and I found myself again sort of in these art spaces, art communities. I think over here it's also felt really different. Mm -hmm. um, like there's a lot of people, I think Dubai is a space for in-betweeners, you know, like mm -hmm. no one's like here or there, it just, it's just an amalgamation of like really messy things this place. So I find myself meeting people mm -hmm. who are also a mishmash of crazy things and mm -hmm. understand these in-between spaces and in-between mm -hmm. people. So I think the art world here has been different. It's also, people are so compassionate and kind and like, mm -hmm. you know, even starting this podcast or just there's something really playful about the energy here. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, every place has its pros and cons, but well, what was I getting to? Um, oh, artist. So um, yeah, I think it's it's a fairly new sort of identity that I've adopted for myself. Mm -hmm. um, I still have so much to learn about what it means to be an artist, um, how people use that term. I also just don't like it when I have to identify myself with um, a professionhood like that that's the mm -hmm. epitome of capitalism for me you know why mm -hmm. should I be tied down to like even artists yeah it's it goes it subverts very much these capitalist structures sometimes um but mm. yeah I don't always want to be tied down to this label either right like there's, I think it's um John Paul Sass, I'm not sure but in one of his uh, books there's a character who's just the waiter his mm. name is the waiter his whole identity is just being the waiter mm. like if someone drops something, he's so quick to pick it up because everything about him is just being the waiter in his mind. Mm -hmm. So I think it's in, like, do you think you were an artist before you, you adopted the term artist? Mm. And what does it mean to you to be an artist? I think, you know, for me, being an artist is a lot about sort of using nurturing creativity, imagination, to deal with the uncertain and the unknown. Mm -hmm. And I think in my life when I found myself in turning points, I've, I've always done that. Um, it's been a tool to sort of keep me sane, also to regulate my emotions like a healthy mm -hmm. person. Um, it's been a tool to find community. Um, art has done so much for me, so I think it's fair. Like I would, I would say I've been an artist since I was six, but mm -hmm. you know, there's like a different way of being like, yeah, I'm an artist when I was six year old and mm -hmm. I'm an artist when I'm 23. It, mm -hmm. For some reason it has a different weight to it and I, mm -hmm. and I don't know why. Um, trying to figure that out. It's almost like yeah. when you're 23, it becomes a life choice. And, <laughs> and, and you were just talking about how it's mm -hmm. so, it feels so awkward to commit to some kind of title or profession, mm -hmm. but in a way, you know, there's this expectation that falls when you reach this 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 age of your life. It's like she has decided she is mm -hmm. now an artist, and it's almost like you're anointed an artist. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, you're bequeathed a degree of responsibility and expectations. And um, yeah, I think that's really a hard mm -hmm. set of of um, factors to buy into when you call yourself mm -hmm. something. I think it's mm -hmm. something all of all creatives, I mean, mm -hmm. secretly or openly go through. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was so hard calling myself a curator the first time I did it. And then, mm -hmm. um, still always finding and redefining mm -hmm. the role that that plays for me. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. Well said. Also, you can call your, like, I could call myself a curator at so many points, but when do I become a good curator or good enough mm -hmm. to say that I am a curator to other people? Yeah, like, absolutely. what's the, the timeline from when you think it to yourself versus when you say it to other people? 
But one thing I think that you said, Lubna, that was really interesting is about how Dubai almost feels a bit like a, a soft landing pad for mm-hmm. these experiences mm-hmm. to be fleshed out in. Like this. Yeah. Like, like this. Bush. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like this, this space is, it's, it's, you know, we hope it's a welcoming space. We hope it's a, an easy space to talk about these things. But even just this entire ecosystem. You know, I arrived here with a great grand master's degree that didn't really mean anything. You know, I went to school for two years, but, you know, big whoop, like, what am I? Um, and here it just feels like there is there is space. You know, maybe it's not an institutional space and maybe it's not a delineated space that's very easy to find but when you look and you're making work because you actually want to make work I feel like um yeah there is there's an acceptance yeah there's an acceptance there's a community Mm -hmm. Uh, I wonder what your experience has been with like the the two sides of the coin you know like you obviously you also called yourself a researcher which to some extent to me reads a bit institutional um and then on the other hand this almost rejection of institution how do you feel that plays in this place yeah <laughs> oh my god big questions <laughs> uh, yeah um you know i've i've never really um been a big institutional person but that's also so hypocritical because i went to one of the most elite institutions in this region yeah um but uh, i find that a lot of the research i do is also quite subversive to the institution that i'm in um so I do a lot of sociological work, a lot of ethnographic work, Mm -hmm. um, interview-based. And I find that in institutions, it's often like, I'm going to study this, I'm going to study this community, but there's always this, like, hierarchy in I, like, in this upper hierarchy, Mm -hmm. and I'm studying them, like, in this lower hierarchy. Mm -hmm. What I like to do is, like, I like to participate with the community that I'm working with Mm -hmm. very much on the equal like playing ground right like where you know there's often this idea of like the sole genius in institutions but that's that's such a like white supremacist idea of like I am the creator I am the researcher (laughs) like that's bs like real I think really revolutionary knowledge is produced when we work together and when we collaborate together um so I really like to center that in the research that I do um, and I found, so I was actually writing like my undergrad thesis last year, and um, I found that while writing my paper, I was getting into like the nitty gritties of whatever I was getting into, but I found that there was a lack of space for the felt sense of things, you know? Like, what happens when an interviewee tells you about a really traumatic experience they've had? Um, like how do both of you hold tension in that space? Um, what are the emotions of intellect, of like creating arguments, creating these mm-hmm. like, I don't know, dissertations, papers, everything. Um, and I relied on art to sort of capture that sense of emotion, that felt sense. So along with the paper that I handed in, um, I also handed in a little like docufilm that I made. Um, and that wasn't a requirement, but I just felt like it was necessary to get like a holistic sense of how we work together as research artists, community, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Did I like 
could I, uh, what was your question again? I felt like I just went in circles, but I don't know. No, oh, I, it makes sense. No, okay. that's, I mean, it, it's, it didn't answer my question, but it, I think it's yeah. maybe even more interesting than what I was asking, you know, thinking about how, how, what it means to be, to be truthful to an experience that you've shared with someone who in, in formal terms was to a degree a research subject, but then mm-hmm. at the same time is a human being with whom you're engaging with on many levels and Mm -hmm. to whom you kind of want to honor um and i think it's so interesting that only only your artistic practice can honor that and not the academic institutional one Mm -hmm. um i think that's probably why a lot of us reject institutions for Mm -hmm. their lack of leniency their lack of flexibility Mm -hmm. um but going back to like this space yeah go ahead just one one quick comment but um i've also found that while working within the institution you meet people who are constantly challenging that, right? Like whether it's a professor, faculty, staff, mm-hmm. um, students, you constantly meet people who are in those structures and systems but subverting it with their very presence or with mm-hmm. the work that they're doing. And I often find myself gravitating to those people. So even, it's so strange because yes, um, fuck institutions, but institutions are also made up of people and what happens when subversive people like that are present in that space. Um, mm-hmm. How does the institution begin to change and transform? And that's also something I'm interested in. It's like that gray zone of institutions, right? (laughs) I think it's only natural, right? Like, even the most subversive of us, you know, we live in a world of institutions and we have to, we have to subscribe Mm -hmm. to survive. And so, yeah, subversive people need to find their place, whether it's in their own counter institutions, which are institutions in their own right, um, or in the traditional ones doing their little things in the big places. I think that's very interesting. Can you tell us what you've been thinking about recently? (laughs) So many thoughts go into this little mind. Um, I don't even know where to begin. What were you thinking about on the cab ride here? I was thinking about how this is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> is it going how you expected? Yeah, I actually really like it. It's um, it's a lot more, I feel a lot more relaxed than I thought. I, I felt very rigid because this is my first podcast. Um, telling Anita, I was like, bro, I don't know why you guys are calling me here. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure what I have to offer. Uh, but I really like this conversation, um, even though I'm doing most of the talking. <laughs> um, but, okay, what was it? What? You know how you said... Um, you, you you were an artist since you were six, like you know you were, but mm-hmm. you you only have the confidence to say it out loud when you're 23. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's the same with like this. You know, you're saying like you don't know wh- why we invited you. Maybe if we do this again in a year, you'll be like, I know why you invited me. <laughs> yeah, <Oops. laughs> I know. I'm hot shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to talk a bit about? My the, research. Yeah, capstone research. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. I'm down to. Yeah, I can do that. Um, the reason I was just a bit hesitant is because I'm still planning like the nitty gritties mm-hmm. for next year, but I'm I'm still down to like talk about it generally, especially since I've mentioned that I do research here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I do research on Hindu-Muslim marriages mm-hmm. in India and the Gulf, um, and the Gulf section is opening up this year. Um, but this this topic is really really close to my heart I mean for several reasons um a I mean India is a fascist country and there's no denying that um 
a really fantastic book that unpacks that. So I just wanted to link that in <laughs> into this podcast. Um, but yeah, and um, within the fascist sort of Hindutva agenda, there is an agenda to target intellectuals, to target artists, mm-hmm. and to target those that sort of break communal borders, like intermarriages. So. Mm-hmm. You know, India is a nation that is deeply stratified by caste, by socioeconomic status, by faith. Um, and Hindu-Muslim marriages in particular are seen as, like, the most taboo of all marriages. Um, and it's gone so far as to, there's this thing called love jihad, which is a law that doesn't allow for Hindu-Muslim marriages, well, not entirely, it's changing, but doesn't allow, the premise is that it doesn't allow for Hindu-Muslim marriages to happen, um, particularly when a Muslim man marries a Hindu woman, because the quote-unquote rationale is that um, Muslim men are trying to convert India's demographic by having Hindu women convert uh, into Islam to turn India into like a Muslim nation. And it really vilifies Islam, vilifies Mm -hmm. Muslim men, completely denies women's agencies in these Mm -hmm. relationships Um, and my parents are also a Hindu Muslim couple so last year I um, I was really just curious about how Hindu Muslim couples are you know negotiating their relationship with their families during marriage but also negotiating their relationship with their nation Mm -hmm. during marriages Um, And I'm particularly interested in women's identity negotiations in these marriages and in these relationships, Um, just because there's there's so much going on for women. You know, you've got the patriarchy, then you've got this, and it just... (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think TLDR, that is what I do. I think that's so cool. And you you had a cap, like a research paper. You've already done I one do. research paper. I have. And I've done to it. To accompany that, you had yeah. a video interviewing yes. some interfaith yeah, couples. Yeah. Right? So that film that I handed in, um, it was about the felt sense of mm-hmm. that project and that process that was not be was not kind of. It's so frustrating because in academia you have to write in this particular academic language bleep, bleep, bleep. Um, and to sort of mm-hmm. deviate from that I created this film to capture the felt sense of that mm-hmm. the things that I could not capture um, right. in that paper and you it was beautiful it made me cry thank you um, I mean I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it just makes me wonder like why do we in art why do we always go back to human faces like mm-hmm. even if you have their quote and like all their details mm. on paper it's different to see the human face like yeah. express emotion and even like in painting like i always go back to human faces you have you do a lot of portraits or like human faces as well i don't know what do you think i mean it's so i think it's so interesting that we're talking about faces on a podcast and you know <laughs> all that's gonna be, remain of this is our voices um but i totally agree there's something about the human face mm-hmm. uh yeah. i said there, there must be a reason why it's been something that so many artists have fixated on over history mm-hmm. it's there must be a reason why you know we we, we like headshots why mm-hmm. we look into people's eyes mm-hmm. um yeah, I guess that's mm. interesting. It's so nice being mm. face-to-face with, 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 with you guys and being yeah. face-to-face with people after mm. so many months, yeah. you know, not to talk about quarantine, which is so overdone these days, but it's a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? 
I can't really tell you, you know, like I could have seen your mouth moving and your mm-hmm. eyes twitching and your eyebrows on a screen, but I guess it's like a primitive, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, that deviated a lot from what you were asking. <laughs> I always do. As we should. As we should. Did you notice the difference in people that would read the paper first and then watch the video? For sure. It was a huge difference. I mean, a lot of people were also um, really kind of shocked at the paper because I did subvert a lot of academic rules about how to write an academic paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it, the paper wouldn't make them as emotional as watching the film would. Mm-hmm. Like, watching the film, I think they really got a sense of why this is so urgent. You know, mm-hmm. like, reading the paper was like, cool, I'm, I'm understanding the nuance of this, this, and this, great, expanding my brain. But the film was an entire, like, embodied experience. You know, mm-hmm. people felt their emotions from feet to head. It wasn't mm-hmm. just, like, the mind. It wasn't just in the brain it was everything everything was like vibrating and um that was really powerful for me I I didn't know people were going to respond like that Mm -hmm. what's ironic is upon making the film some I noticed myself also getting desensitized Mm -hmm. um to the material that I was like dealing with um so it was really shocking when for example I showed you the film and you started tearing up and I was like God, what? 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 <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, just, I got so desensitized by a certain mm-hmm. point. And no, that's not, and that's interesting because that's not why I approach art. I approach art because um, out of sensitivity and out of a need mm-hmm. to like really feel and connect. But it's interesting mm-hmm. that sometimes in the process, how, mm-hmm. and sometimes you do have to get a little distanced mm-hmm. to be able to like hold the weight of it right. and just make it. Right. It makes uh, me think of doctors. Like, if they felt the pain of their patients, they wouldn't be able to to do anything. Truly. You need to distance yourself a bit. Yeah. I think it's so interesting to think about distance and, like, how many layers of removal you need to have from Mm -hmm. an experience, a person, an object, an event, to be able to experience that emotion. It's like, when we're talking about our encounter faces, Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, you know, that proximity is, is what creates that understanding of meaning. But then, on the other hand when we think of art, you've removed so much, uh, not so much, but you've added so many different layers in between the original inspiration or event that you're documenting or making art about to the final product, which is related to an audience. And it's so interesting that that actually even adds more power Mm -hmm. to, um, to what it means. And then it goes like uh, to go even farther, as I always do, maybe too far. Um, like you know, it's I've never underst- I've never been a fan of abstract art or understood um, how it can rise so many emotions out of people. But mm-hmm. you know, the, that is so far away from any kind of lived experience. But it's almost a visceral reaction that can be generated when something has been, you know, mm-hmm. stripped and restripped and then unstripped and yeah. It's to go back to the video. I think, like you know, having having those faces there visible makes it in a way more real. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's 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 a tangible, even though intangible because it's on a screen, a tangible encounter. Um, Also, when you're talking about like how how to work within these institutions, like the paper, something you discuss in a classroom, you know. 
and then as soon as you're out, you don't care anymore because mm. it's easy to forget statistics. Like Stalin said, yeah. a million is a statistic, uh, a million deaths is a statistic, one death is a tragedy. Because mm. when you put a human face to something, it becomes mm. so much deeper. Mm. Yeah. And also, like to go back to the point you made about the paper just staying in that institution and never mm-hmm. getting out, that's like my biggest, oh, that actually made my heart pain because I hate mm-hmm. it when, you know, there's so much amazing knowledge that is generated within these institutions uh because people really work you know they spend their whole lives laboring in these spaces um with care with care yeah Mm -hmm. with care with all their hearts and it really bothers me when it just stays in this like ivory tower um but there's actually this uh sort of it's on a it's on a collective but uh you know padlet Padlet, like the yeah. software? Yeah. yeah. Like the, the, it's just like a website yeah. where you can just collaborate. So mm-hmm. I made a website for participatory research where you uh, link resources to papers that have sort of involved the community that mm-hmm. they are working with and researching with. Um, and at the same time, you you don't just keep the paper to yourself once it's published. You like you circulate it. You mm-hmm. circulate circulate it to the community that you're working with. Ask them for their feedback. Because it's not like the professor's feedback that matters. It's like the people that you're working with, their input and mm-hmm. their feedback that really what? matters, right? Yeah. So it's really like redefining how we study and work. And I, I have hope for these things as well. Because for so long, these institutions have been filled with this like very colonial supremacist mindset, you mm-hmm. know? And we're seeing more people, more subversive people enter these spaces. So I really have hope for like how the dissemination of knowledge is going to change in like the next few years. I mean, it's hard work and Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's also very laborious, it's emotionally taxing, Um, but I'm also hopeful and Mm -hmm. excited, Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that optimism. Yeah, so you think the form needs to change to reach more people or is it about like the, the networks? Yeah, I think both. I think both. Mm -hmm. Because the content is the same. You're still talking about the same people, right? That you're doing the same work in the paper and the the film. The content is the same, but I think the language also needs to change. Like Mm -hmm. how we... I think we need to adopt more humanizing language in Mm -hmm. academia, you know? We have Mm -hmm. to... Like even when we call people... um, like research subjects. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is a subject? <laughs> it's so dehumanizing. Yeah, we also do that in film. Like we're like, mm-hmm. oh, this subject. I'm like, stop, stop. These are mm-hmm. people that we're yeah. dealing with. Like, take them as their whole individual mm-hmm. complex selves. Because like, that's the scary thing about being desensitized. Sometimes right. you know, like, mm-hmm. I think it's powerful to distance yourself, but it's a really thin line when you can cross and sort of. Mm-hmm. So you can become so de- desensitized that you don't know how to find your way back. Yes, to that sensitivity. Yeah. yeah, and you don't know why you got there in the first place, which mm-hmm. was out of a means to connect Oof, yeah. and to be sensitive and mm-hmm. feel. You know, so yeah, yeah. Shall we move to Proust? <laughs> Let's move to Proust. We have some questions for you. Mm-hmm. So it's um, these are Proust's questions. Um, Marcel Proust, and it's supposed to be a good way to get to know someone better on a deeper mm-hmm. level. So there are 35 mm-hmm. questions. If you could give us three numbers, then we'll go through okay. three questions. Three, six, nine. 
Okay, don't, that was quick. Okay. <laughs> you had that ready. Did you know we were going to do it? Okay. Wait, but there's 35 questions, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe I should spread it out. Okay, 3, 13, 33. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Three, what is the trait you most deplore in yourself? Deplore, feel or express strong disapproval of? Mm. Mm-hmm. I think laziness. Uh, <laughs> mm. um, I don't know. Actually, I, I'm sure there's more things that I really deplore. <laughs> but, like, um, I don't know. Actually, sometimes I'm... No, because I'm thinking laziness, but I'm also like, fuck, I'm actually working so hard. Mm-hmm. Something I, I just think I'm really hard on myself a lot. Um, mm. And that's something that I deplore about myself. Um mm. I I wish I could be more compassionate to myself or speak to myself like I would yeah. speak to a friend, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I need to learn how to be more gentle with myself. It's also hard when the world does not teach you that, so yeah, I have so to take true. it easy. Yeah. Yes. Okay, 13, what is the quality you like most in a woman? Okay, let's remember yeah. Proust asked these questions, <laughs> not us. <laughs> okay, number 12 is what is the quality you most like in a man? So that's why number 13 is what you most like in a woman. Okay, can I just say what I most like in a human, human being? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. That's actually not one of the <laughs> that's options. That's so petrifying. So, yeah. Petrifying. <laughs> petrifying is this word that I use to, it's like a combination of horrifying and heteronormative. And the 12 and 13 are petrifying. But um, human being... Mm-hmm. What I most admire about a human being. Hmm. Oh my god, there's so many things to love about human beings. They're so fucking lovable. I don't know. Um, I think I really enjoy a human being that knows how to play. Like, like you know, be embrace playfulness um, in their yeah. life. And I think that's just so much fun. And... Um, it's so wise also, like, what a wise way to live with so much mm. playfulness in one's life. Um, and laugh, and it's healing. Like, it's a healing way to just exist. Yeah, I love that. I remember once, because um, we lived on the same floor last year, okay. me and Lubna, and I was hearing this really weird noise from the corridor. And I opened the door, and, like, in the building, in the corridor, <laughs> Lubna's just roller skating back and forth. Oh, I <laughs> love <herself>. that! <laughs> I miss mm-hmm. doing that. Miss, and before I'd have like a community I'd roller skate with in the hallway. Now I just do it alone in my apartment. Which is Oh, that's true. amazing. Um, okay, thirty three, what is your greatest regret? Oh my god. Yeah, regret is such a hard emotion. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. Um hmm. I think always has to do with people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when I was talking earlier about like drawing boundaries with people, mm-hmm. it's also really hard because a lot of these people are like people I deeply love. Um, I think sometimes my deepest regret is not finding a good balance between holding on and letting go. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my deepest regret. Um, Try not to have any regrets, but uh, that's some bullshit. Everybody has, I think, has regrets. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but it doesn't like weigh down on me. But sometimes I think because because I care and because I love mm-hmm. and because it's human. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think we have to have regrets to mm-hmm. to want to progress and develop in life, and it's only natural. 
I mm-hmm. totally agree that saying you have no regrets isn't bullshit answer. Yeah. <laughs> Although that's my go-to. <laughs> I'm guilty. Okay. Um, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Is there oh, yeah, anything you'd plug. like to promote before we uh, sign off? What was the book yeah. by Arundhati oh. Roy? Azadi, Azadi, sorry. Azadi by Arundhati Roy. Fantastic. Um, that first chapter is so good. It's, what language does rain fall on tormented cities? That is Oof. poetic. Wow. So good. Um, yeah. yeah Any of your own work? Anywhere okay. we can find you? <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yes. My Instagram, groovyluby, uh, groovy underscore luby. And um, if you want to re- read my research paper, I would actually love that. Mm-hmm. So just DM me and I'll send you a copy. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining Thank us, Lumina. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you.